Welcome to the Straw Hat Social Club, a One Piece recap show. I'm Todd, the One Piece expert, which is a made-up title that just means I've read the manga. And I'm joined by someone who is completely new to One Piece, the lovely and talented Becca. Hey. Hey. (laughs) Uh, So join us today as we travel to Barati, which covers episodes 19 through 30 of the One Piece anime and chapters 42 through 68 of the manga. Are you excited about this one? Because I, I am. I am so excited. I've been waiting for this, and just, <laughs> I'm so excited. We're both big Sanji heads, <laughs> yeah. which we'll get into. Um, but, uh, yeah, I guess before we get started, because uh, we are, we are going to be doing a little different this time. I'm trying to change up the formula a little bit. But um, this is kind of a longer arc. I mean, this is going to be the norm going forward so i kind of want to get right into it but before we do i just wanted to mention that uh i was reading when one piece first got animated it was actually made into a ova in 1998 and it was shown in the jump super anime tour 98 uh which was aired in theaters which ovas are usually like straight to video but it was a short original animated film that has a totally different style, a different cast, everything. Like, I really am interested in checking that out. But that was apparently, like, their first test at animating it was to do it like that. So the OVA was like a pilot? Yeah, I guess that's a way to, okay. to look at it. And I guess what was really interesting to me is that we talked about how, you know, he made Romance Dawn, like those two pieces that were kind of like almost like setting things up, testing the waters before he made actually one piece. And he did the same thing with the the animation. And it shows like how much work went into getting one piece off the ground. And when you look at it now, when it's like the biggest series in the world, seeing that like he really carefully, you know, took his time to get this started. It just shows how important and how passionate he was about this, even from the beginning. You know, it's like he could tell this is going to be his life's work. Yeah, that's really cool. So, yeah, I just wanted to mention that. I thought it was interesting. And I think, like, we should look that up, try to watch it at some point. But why don't we get right into the recap? So, this arc, it starts out with... uh, you know, the new full crew on the sea, hanging out on their new ship after Seer Village. Um, but we pretty quickly go into a Zoro flashback while he's sleeping. And this was already kind of interesting because in the in the manga, the Zoro flashback happened like real early, like when his character was first introduced. But it was also kind of bare bones. Like I think I even mentioned in the episode that it was weird they didn't show any of that. And I was like, oh, they'll probably do it later. It makes a lot of sense that they saved it for this arc, which will make sense later. And it's also, the flashback is, like, way more in-depth in this one. Like, the, in the manga, it's it's actually pretty simple. There's a lot more detail added, which is a, a weird thing that they seem to do a lot in the, in the early anime for One Piece, that they kind of take a lot of liberties and add the stuff. And it's really not bad. Like, usually that's not great, you know, but they do a good job here. I mean, the the idea behind the flashback is that he basically seemed to show up 
at this sword school when he was a child, just like this random wild kid who shows up and is just like, yeah, I'm going to beat everybody's ass in here. And so he challenges like the teacher and how he's like six years old or something. Yeah, he's like I, super young. Yeah, he, he's depicted as very young, but like super feisty. And yeah. I, I think it's if I was going to imagine Zoro as a child like this, is it? Yeah, well, it is funny because he seems like he's just cool as shit now. <laughs> you know, like his older self yeah. is like very cool and laid back. And as a kid, he is like super wild. And <laughs> it, it does seem like he he kind of matured as he got older. Yeah. But it is funny because he I think the other kids even mentioned that like, oh, he's so strong. He beats up adults, you know, <laughs> so he he definitely comes in here like, yeah, I'm going to beat the, the master of this dojo and take it over or whatever. <laughs> And the master tells him, like, well, why don't you fight my daughter, Koina? And he's like, sure. And he's like, yeah, and you can use whatever swords you want. And this is already, mm-hmm. like, an interesting detail that when he sees a stack of swords, he just grabs as many as he can, <laughs> you know, which obviously plays in his character later. And even then, when he when he goes to fight her, they kind of point out, like, oh, use, the, use two swords, you know, one in each hand. And he just clearly, he doesn't know what he's doing. He just thinks like more swords equals better, basically. <laughs> that that becomes clear when he fights her, that he has no experience at all. He just has kind of brute strength. And Queena, meanwhile, is like a very, very talented swords person, even though mm-hmm. she's a girl, which becomes a big part of, you know, her story we're introduced to here. But she beats him very easily, which just frustrates Zoro and... He offers to join the school to receive like actual training, and that becomes the whole the whole f- focus here is like the back and forth where he keeps challenging Queena, keeps trying to beat her every single time gets defeated and it's it's also interesting because it's like he's very cocky, you know, and he gets very frustrated that he keeps losing, but he keeps working at it like over and over and gets very frustrated because it's like he's hitting this brick wall but he just refuses to give up the big turning point is when he he i think he overhears the teacher talking to like his friend or something i don't know if you remember i don't know if i remember completely Well, well i think that he what he overhears is that like her father is explaining, you know, how talented she is. Oh, and, yes, yes. I and, remember this. Yeah, and how um, she's never going to be able to be a top swordsman because she's a woman because apparently her dad is, like, red-pilled or something. Yeah, like, it's, <laughs> it's very disappointing because you can see how clearly how talented she is. And he's just like, well, she's a girl. So. Yeah, like, shrugs his shoulders like, <laughs> well, you know, she's weaker than men, so she's never going to do it. This winds up just making Zoro like furious because he's like what are you talking about like she (laughs) keeps beating me over and over again and he sees her as this like insurmountable obstacle so hearing that it just makes him more frustrated but you also learn that because he keeps challenging her like this it actually motivates her even though it seems like she's been told her whole life like yeah you're never gonna make it you know it it winds up motivating her to keep at it and to just to stay ahead of him. You know what I mean? So it's this back and forth that even though they're kind of like pissed at each other, because um, I think she is mad at Zoro because it's like you're a man and you're like, you can't even beat me. And I'm <laughs> and I'm supposed to be weak. Like, what are you doing? And it's almost like this this 
It's like her seeing the promise that like she's being told, you know, that she's never going to make it. She sees this as being this obstacle. And so they, yeah, they go back and forth until eventually um, she challenges him with real swords. So they go and they fight with real swords and she still beats him. And that becomes the big uh, emotional moment. The big beat of this whole flashback is Zora's like reduced to tears at that point because he just feels like he can't do anything. And Queena explains that like, you know, I don't know what you're frustrated about because I'm about to hit a wall that I can't get past. And he just, Zoro being, you know, woke as hell, <laughs> is like, what are you talking about? Like, he just gets mad at her for that, almost like she's giving up at that point. And it feels like this big turning point for both of them. But then tragically, we find out she dies, like, off screen in some kind of accident or something. <clears throat> and, um, and I think it's extra tragic and winds up setting up Zoro's character because they had made a promise that, you know, Zoro and her were going to compete to be the best swordsman in the world. And with her passing away like this, it's like extra frustrating that he's, he's not going to be able to, to compete with her. So he makes this promise that he is going to become the best swordsman in order to fulfill that promise. And I think he mentions that in previous arcs, this, this promise that he made. Mm-hmm. So he like can't lose. So this finally, like, fleshes that out and gives us, you know, his full character. Um, and I think the, the last big detail is that when he makes that promise, he goes to her father and, and he asks for her sword as, like, a symbol that he can use to fulfill her promise. And that's that's one of the, the three swords that he uses, like, to this day. So I don't know, what were, uh, what were your, like, lasting thoughts from this whole flashback? Well, I think... Oda really shows, like, a very nuanced part of just being a girl in a patriarchal society. Everyone's telling you, like, you're not going to be good enough. (laughs) Well, yeah, I mean, everything is, you know, pretty much set up for men. I'm not going to get too into it. But I think it's, it's a really beautiful story, and it just shows how, like, how far empathy and connection with other people can go like it really her his whole experience with her really just like formed him completely and i think that him like dedicating his life to her and her dream and his dream combined basically i think is just really sweet yeah and you see how seriously he takes that oath going forward especially plays a part in this arc which we'll we'll talk a lot more about that later yeah i think there's like an overwhelmingly amazing representation for like loyalty and friendship and i just i love seeing how that gets weaved into the story definitely definitely and uh yeah so we come out of this knowing that zora is a woke king like i think we already (laughs) knew but it helps to show you know a big part of things so far is Everyone on Luffy's crew seems to have these crazy ambitions. And now you really see why, like, when Zoro says he wants to be the best swordsman in the world, it's not just him, like, his pride or anything like that. It goes a lot deeper. And I think that makes his commitment feel much stronger. You know, it's not as flimsy as it could be, you know. 
But when we get back to the present, we see Luffy and Usopp are playing around with the cannons on the ship. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I love these little moments where it shows, like, kind of life on the ship with I, them, you know? I love that, too. And, what, like, what's so great about those is I, I it could be an episode of just Slice of Life on the yeah. ship, and I would watch the entire thing. I think I remember reading, because we, we skip all the filler arcs. We might, like, wind up going back and doing that for, like, some bonus content or something, but... I think I read there is a filler arc that's basically just, like, Slice of Life oh, on the I ship. I love that. And we pe- have to watch that. Yeah, I've heard fans <laughs> say that's, like, one of the only filler arcs that's, like, worth watching because it's just fun. So I'm interested in figuring out, like, where that fits in the timeline. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it is It is a common thing that Luffy and Usopp especially are just, like, <laughs> you know, these these little delinquent kids. I know, that's just, just getting goofing the shit. around. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, their relationship is so great. <laughs> But Luffy's playing with the cannon, can't hit anything. He's, like, aiming at this big rock. And then Usopp, who is the sharpshooter on the crew, is like, well, let me give it a shot. And, yeah, he hits the rock first try, um, which shows that even though he's kind of the silly, cowardly character, like, he is he is skilled, you know, when he puts his mind to it with stuff like this. Am, am I right <laughs> in thinking that Usopp is not only a sharpshooter but, like, an engineer? I don't think or... he's, like specifically an engineer i think it's more that he's like very uh handy and like has a lot of ingenuity so he kind of steps into that role that's that's something we're definitely going to talk more about later because it becomes important i think i'm I'm very fascinated by his role in the crew because it seems very multifaceted well i think that that seems to be by design since like if he was useless and he's also all cowardly, it would be like, well, who is this this annoying asshole? Yes, of course. But he's, yeah, he definitely pulls his weight, you know. Yeah, yeah I think this is after this is when uh, we get some mystery swordsman showing up on the ship. He's like pissed off, he's like breaking everything. And everyone's like, what? Who is this guy? Where did he come from? And Luffy, of course, just comes out and is just like, stop. You know, and just like instantly puts him down. But Zoro recognizes this guy. I think this was actually, yeah, this was Johnny. And apparently they were bounty hunters together. Like they would actually, I guess, go on bounty hunts together because they knew each other, seemed to have a history. And we also get introduced to Yosaku, who is Johnny's partner. And Yosaku is like deathly ill, you know, like (laughs) knocking on death's door. And everyone's like so worried. And Nami, as usual. <laughs> I love this. She just comes out and is just like, you idiot. Like, this, he's got scurvy. Like, you guys haven't been eating right. Which is so funny because yeah. you would think that's like, I mean, obviously by Nami's reaction, you'd think that's like common knowledge. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. So this, I, I I'll quickly say this is something One Piece does a lot, which again, we'll we'll talk about more. But I feel like a lot of these arcs, especially the ones that are, like, in between arcs, in between, like, the major ones, they usually present these certain ideas to, like, flesh out the world and the story that they're they're blended so seamlessly in you aren't really thinking about it. And, like, in this, to- in this case with this arc, it's all about the importance of food when you're on the sea, you know, because you are completely cut off from everything. You're surrounded by water, but you can't drink any of it. You know what I mean? So, and even like, you know, there's plenty of fish that you can eat, but your body needs more than just fish. You need citrus and whatever, you know, to fight scurvy, which is kind of like a well-known thing. You need like limes and lemons to combat that or fresh fruit. Oranges is usually what's depicted in most American 
yeah, I guess pirate movies. Whatever you can get your hands on. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's it's the idea that this stuff, nutrition's important on the ocean. No uh maybe this is like foreshadowing where this arc <laughs> is going. Um <laughs> But yeah, they. I think their reaction is to just like squeeze lime straight into his mouth, <laughs> yeah. you know, like as if it's medicine, and uh, and that works. That like, brings them back, and they're suddenly like, you know, dancing around, super happy, like thank <laughs> you, like you saved our lives. Um, they're very, they're silly characters, but uh, even though they're like very minor, I I like them. I think they add something. Like I don't know how you felt about them. No, I I liked it too. I thought I think their character design is really cool too. Yeah. Yeah. After this, I think that the two of them mentioned the Barati, as the arc is called. The Barati is this like famous seafaring restaurant, it's basically like a ship that is also a restaurant that uh, they know about. And they know it's in this area in the East Blue. So that becomes their next destination so they can stock up on food. And since they're still getting their crew together and everything, like Luffy's very excited to be like, maybe we could find a cook <laughs> on here, you know? So that turns in their next uh, destination. As they show up to the Barati, this is when we get introduced to another character named Full Body, who's a naval officer. I don't know if you remember this, like the Navy kind of shows up at the same time and they're like, oh shit. Mm -hmm. And it's especially funny because Yasaku and Johnny, who are bounty hunters, who like work with the Navy, they're on a pirate <laughs> ship. So they're trying to be like, oh shit, and like covering their faces, you know. <laughs> but full body, you know, as a lot of the, the Navy seems to be depicted, they kind of look at them as like, what are you doing here? You're just some filthy pirate. So he's just immediately like, yeah, just sink them, you know. So they, they shoot at them. And Luffy's reaction to that is to like, I, I think in the in the manga I think he like inflates himself and it bounces off. I think in the anime it was like a little more complicated, like he slingshots his body or something. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I I don't know. I haven't read the manga, <clears throat> but it, it's not important. What matters is though he deflects the cannonball to protect the ship, but being Luffy, he deflects it straight into the Barati, and it like. <laughs> makes a hole in it so not not the best uh you know entrance for that no but very luffy coated definitely but yeah so then we we get our first introduction to the barati because luffy gets dragged in front of the captain zeph because the cannonball went straight in his bedroom and put a hole in the wall and that turns into these negotiations where he's uh you know luffy and them they don't have any money or at least if they do Nami controls it, and there's yeah. no way she's giving that up. <laughs> so they make this decision. They're like, all right, you can stay here, and you can work it off for two years. <laughs> Which, of course, Luffy is just like, it's funny because Luffy, he is such a good character. He's more than willing to work it off. He's like, yes, please. He's like begging for forgiveness and everything. <laughs> but when he says two years, he's like, oh, I can't do that. I can't. Like, I got stuff I'm doing right now. I can't I can't stay here for two years. Yeah, I'm trying to be king of the pirates. I don't have time to uh, yeah, be here come for two years. <laughs> and I think he tries to negotiate like yes. one week. He's like, no. Like, what? <laughs> but after after that little scene, this is when we get our big introduction to the man himself, Sanji. Um, which before we get into the scene, <laughs> we should talk about this really quick because, um, yeah, Sanji, we're both big fans, both big Sanji heads over here. Yes, I love um, Sanji. 
But what's funny, I remember when we were first watching this, like, a big part of his character. You yeah, know, me he's, too. <laughs> he's, like, very, you know, he's the pervy character. Yeah. You know, he's the one. Go ahead. I was just immediately turned off by this character. Yeah. I was like, oh, my God, this is so annoying. It's it's kind <laughs> of like an anime trope. But, you know, whenever he sees a pretty girl, his, like, nose starts bleeding. And he's, like, got the hearts and eyes. It's, like, straight up, like, Looney Tunes level. I know. And the whole, I remember, I, I thought you were going to bring this up. Like, I oh, was yeah. so... <laughs> so angry at this character i'm like stop yeah. oogling at women all the time give them a yeah. break well, yeah, it, was, it was funny because i can remember you know when you're being introduced it's kind of like okay you're figuring the guy out and then as soon as he starts doing that you were just kind of like <laughs> okay is that this guy like okay and, and after that every time it happened you were like like really is that is that all this guy is you know but you know you get you get a good look at his character as the story goes on and see that there's definitely more to him than that. I think this is the fastest I've ever turned on not liking a character. Yeah. It was a Sanji. And again, Oda just, he knows what he's doing. Like, he yeah. just knows how to tell a story. Well, I was going to say, re-watching it especially, like, I think uh, there's a lot going on, like a lot of little character moments that you can kind of miss maybe the first time that... The second time through, you can really pick up. Like, even in this arc, a lot of work is done to show that there's a lot more going on with this character. So it's there's a lot to appreciate. Yeah, I really, really enjoyed watching this again. Yeah. Especially just in with this fresh perspective of, oh, I love this character, and now I can take in this story with me knowing that I love him. Yeah, so. exactly. But his introduction, he comes out, cool shit cigarette in his mouth which i did want to point out real quick that um we talked about the four kids edit before yeah so apparently sanji he had a brooklyn accent in the okay. four kids version and he the cigarette got edited into a lollipop oh okay which is like it feels like a lot of effort to get rid of the cigarette why but the brooklyn accent i don't, I don't know I don't know. I, think, I need to see this, though. It's definitely <laughs> something you can imagine these studio people who don't care about anime sitting down and being like, yeah, sure, Brooklyn accent. <laughs> He's from New York, whatever. But it's a great scene because he comes out looking cool as hell with a cigarette and everything. <laughs> He's serving full body. And there's like a funny scene he where... He is serving full body. Yeah. <laughs> so full body, you know, this Navy officer who... He's one of those throwaway characters that like... His, his defining thing is he has, like, these big brass knuckles or something on his hands. But there's, like, a whole funny scene where I guess he had set it up where he would get delivered this certain kind of wine, and he would fake like he was a wine connoisseur and, like, <laughs> identifies it. But Sanji just doesn't care about that. He's not even—he explains he's not a waiter. He's a sous chef. But all the waiters, like, ran away a few days ago or something. Which is a little setup for like what what's going on at Barati, what kind of ship this actually is. But yeah, he he tries to say like, oh, it's this is clearly this kind of wine, and Sandy's just like, no, you're wrong, and just like walks away, and the guy's like devastated by this. This see, so this scene reminds me of like what an influencer must be like when they go oh, to yeah. a restaurant. Yeah, we're like, I'll give you exposure in exchange for this meal. Yeah. But then full body, he's like so devastated by this. He tries to turn the tables by putting like a bug in his soup and calls him back over as they're like, 
Like, you know, trying to call out like how filthy the, the restaurant is and their food's terrible <laughs> and whatever. And that just turns into Sanji beating the shit out of him. Because I think he like he throws the soup on the floor or something. And this is our first hint at like Sanji does not tolerate wasting food. You know, as soon as he does this, Sanji just beats the living shit out of him and gets in trouble for it. Which also sets up the Sanji a bit of a, a tough character. You know, he's not just a just a cook, you know. Yeah, I'll say like his backstory surprised me. Like, I was not expecting this for this character. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we'll get into that in a little bit. But yeah, Sanji, he gets in trouble for this. But they actually get interrupted because the Navy pops up and they reveal that this pirate named Krieg, his underling that they had captured, escaped. And so we get we get introduced to this uh, these pirates that are known as, like, the strongest in the East Blue. So Luffy's been kind of working his way up. To this point, seems logical that this is where we're at now, that this pirate named Krieg, he's the strongest pirate in the East Blue. They, there's like a whole story about how they apparently went to the Grand Line recently, but they returned and were like starving and their ships were destroyed and everything. And it's another one of those foreboding things about the Grand Line and the dangers that are over there. The whole crew is like starving right and like hollowed faced and yeah we get introduced to them in a bit because for now all we get is um Gein I think it's I think they pronounce it Gein I want to say because I remember thinking it was like a strange pronunciation but Gein shows up he's starving he he seems to be like um some kind of officer in Krieg's crew but when uh when he shows up he's demanding food because he's starving and the Barati cooks are just like, well, you clearly don't have any money. So they immediately toss him out. And this leads into the first of many, like, very important scenes with Sanji, where Sanji finds him, like, on the back of the ship and brings him food and feeds him, even though he doesn't have any money. Sanji, he, he reveals that, you know, he, he sees his job as being feeding people who are hungry, period, no matter what. You know, and there's this implication there's more going on there, which we will get to. But clearly, like, he has this this level of compassion when it comes to food. And Luffy winds up actually seeing all this, and he immediately is kind of taking notes. um, Because this is something, again, we see a lot where when Luffy's recruiting people, he, he definitely sees something in these characters that maybe other people aren't paying attention to. And... With Sanji and his compassion, you know, Luffy sees something there that resonates with him. Yeah, Luffy is very good at judging character. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, and I think Luffy immediately, like, uh, comes up to him and is just like, hey, join my crew. <laughs> like, you know, because he's always very direct with this stuff. And Sanji's just like, I don't know who you are. <laughs> like, like, I'm not about to leave and join you. And that becomes a theme in this is Luffy just every now and then being like, so you're joining me, right? You know, like just pestering the hell out of him. And there's like a whole back and forth with them. Yeah, I love the energy of how Luffy asked to be somebody's friend. But yeah, it's it's important to point out that I think part of this is Sanji. He seems to have some kind of understanding of like what it means to really be hungry and Zeff does too, because I think Zeff sees this happening as well and doesn't like intervene or anything. So there's already this like setup that there's something 
going on there with the two of them and their history, you know. So Sanji feeds him. He gives him a boat, sends him off, and um, there is there is also like that part where Luffy talks to to Gein and explains that they're they are also setting up to go to the Grand Line, and Gein like immediately tries to dissuade him and say like, "You do not understand the danger that you're getting yourself into," and it just serves as like more setup to the Grand Line being this huge goal that is very foreboding, very dangerous you know, continues to build up that kind of anticipation, expectation of what's to come. But I think this this part of the the episode that kind of gets rounded out with um, a couple things that I wanted to point out. One was Luffy, he, he gets put to work, you know, like now he's basically like their cabin boy doing the dirty jobs. And what was funny about this, it makes it clear that like, we see Luffy as this like really strong, really important character, you know, but whenever he's put into any other setting, he's just so completely useless. Like it made me think like if he didn't become a pirate, he would be he would be worthless. Like he wouldn't be able to do anything. Cause he is kind of just like hanging out in the kitchen, just like watching. And they're like, Why are you just standing there? Like, go wash some dishes. He's like, Okay. And just starts breaking all the dishes while he's washing them. He's, like, completely useless. <laughs> and then, yeah, I think another really funny scene is when he goes to... They're like, okay, well, go, why don't you go serve some people or whatever? So he goes out there, and this you see the rest of the Straw Hats are just chilling at a table. <laughs> like, He's, like, jealous. Yeah, it becomes this whole funny scene where they're just, like, hanging out, and they're just like, oh, what are you doing, Luffy? Like, bring us some food or whatever. <laughs> and he's like, what the hell, man? I can't eat with you guys. You know, like, I, I gotta just, work. It shows, like, how strong their friendship is already. Like, they're just joking with each other and, like, yeah. taking jabs, and it's funny. Their dynamic is great. And, yeah, there's, like, that part where Luffy tries to put, like, a booger in Zoro's water. (laughs) It's just so funny. And the other characters are, like, like cracking up. They're, like... (laughs) Yeah, but then, like, Nami and Usopp are, like, cracking up and, like, covering their mouths. It's so funny. And then Zoro, of course, when he's getting ready to drink, he sees it and starts trying to shove it in Luffy's (laughs) mouth, you know? It's so funny. It's so funny. But that's also when... Sanji shows up and gets his first glimpse at Nami. Oh, my God. And this, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't have rolled my eyes harder because yeah. I'm like, what is going on with this character? Like, leave Nami alone. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. He's like, he just immediately turns into a simp and is like <laughs> ready to do anything for her. And she immediately picks up on it oh, and is yeah. just like, okay, so I can eat for free, right? You know, <laughs> like immediately takes advantage. <laughs> As she should. Yeah. It's very funny. (laughs) Yes, it's extremely funny. And watching it around the second time just made it even funnier. Like Yeah. Truly, for me at least. Yeah, I think it's it's after this that Zeph clearly has been like watching Sanji and like all his interactions with Luffy and them and and you can tell like Zeph Zeph and Sanji, they they're kinda like fighting all the time, but at the same time you can see that Zeph he knows that Sanji has like these bigger dreams and aspirations. And again, we haven't gotten like the full breadth of their story yet, but I think they have like a fight here where Zeph is trying to tell Sanji like to, to leave. He's like, well, we don't need you here. Go, go with them. But he tells him like, he, he's trying to kick him out and tells him to go with the straw hats in them. And it's cause he can already see there's like a dynamic there and he sees maybe this is Sanji's opportunity to 
leave and like pursue his own to pursue his own ambitions, you know. I will say just to slide in that Zeph's character design is so great because oh, yeah. he literally looks like the saltiest pirate ever. Oh, yeah. Like if you were standing next to him, he would just smell of like sweat and salt. <laughs> I also think that we should measure the value of cooks by the height of their hats. Oh my gosh, yes, I love this. Because like, reaches the ceiling. It doesn't make any sense. But, no, but it's so cool. But it just, when you see that, you know, like, he's a serious he's ass a chef. He's a really good chef. Look how tall his Holy hat is. Holy shit, yeah. <laughs> but this, I think, after this argument is when the Krieg pirates finally show up. They were led there by Gein, because Gein, you know, he was allowed to escape after eating. And he brings them back because he wants to feed his whole crew and look out for them. And this is how you see that when they show up, they're sh- they have this massive fleet, but the ships are, like, half destroyed, including their flagship, which is, like, this gigantic ship that, like, towers over the Barati. Which, by the way, did you want to, like, say something about the design of the Barati ship? Oh, my gosh. Yes. Okay, kind so... kind of skipped over that. I, that's fine. It's... So beautiful, and what it just reminds me of is, like, the Studio Ghibli bathhouse, but, like, as a ship. And, like, the the fact that it is a fish, too. I just, I love it. It's just such a cool design. The colors are so cool, and especially since it has, like, little fins on the side and stuff, and I'm sure we'll get into all that later. Yeah, it's very distinctive. But it's such a cool design, and I just... I love it so much. Well, it's funny. You mentioned it is like a very Studio Ghibli type of design. Mm-hmm. Like when you say that, it, it totally looks that way. Like the colors and the, the fish head and everything. Yeah, just the sheer like structure of it and how big it is. It's just so cool. Yeah. But this, as I was saying, yeah, Krieg and them, they show up and they're all starving and like just on the ropes. And... Krieg basically tells them that they have a ton of money but no food, which is another thing that'll come up here. But he he promises that he'll he'll leave them alone if they feed him, and obviously he can pay for it. But the other pirates on the Barati, or the the cooks, I mean, on the Barati, they like refuse because they they know he already has this reputation for being like very treacherous, and they're saying like if we feed them, they're just going to turn on us and attack us. Um, and they're ready to kick them out. But of course, Sanji and Zeph, because of whatever they went through, they refuse to just allow them to stay hungry. So they bring out all the food against the the cries of the other crewmates. I think what's nice about this scene is that both both parties have very good reasons for their decision. It's not like, in yeah. in this particular circumstance, it's not like... Well, they don't have money, so I don't want to... It's like they're actually scared of, you know, yeah. you know, give someone a bone and, you know, maybe they're going to turn on you or something, and it's scary. Well, they reveal that I guess they have a reputation for doing things like flying a Navy flag and then getting mm-hmm. close to civilians and attacking them. Like, that's his thing. Like, right. Which is interesting because, you know, last arc we had Kuro, which his whole thing was he's all about making plans. He's called Crow of the Thousand Plans. And he really just cares about himself and making sure that, you know, he is taken care of and safe and and enriched by what they're doing. Yeah. And Kuro, you know, obviously just has a thousand shitty plans. Yeah. (laughs) Not very good plans. But Krieg then, his thing is that 
he's treacherous and will kind of do whatever it takes to win. Yeah, so they, they wind up feeding them anyways. And as soon as Krieg gets enough food, and it's like, you know, food is always treated as like this power-up. Because as soon as he eats it, he just immediately is back to his full strength and just immediately turns on them and attacks them. I which, wish that's how food actually worked. Well, yeah. <laughs> but it is like, yeah, of course, this is his character. He, he betrays them instantly and immediately says, like, his plan is he's going to take over the Barati and he's going to take that to the Grand Line because he seems to be really hung up on being defeated out there. Mm. And he's, like, desperate to go back and to, you know, conquer it. He sees this as being his opportunity. He takes the Barati out there. He can lure people in with it and then attack them because that's what he does. But yeah, and the other big reveal here for Krieg is that one of the um, Barati cooks, he winds up pulling out like this cannon to, to shoot at him to try and get him off the ship. And when he gets hit by the cannon, it's like no effect at all. And there's the reveal that he's wearing this full suit of this, they call it Woot's steel <laughs> armor that's like indestructible. And so he doesn't get hurt at all. It's but, like vibranium. Yeah. <laughs> adamantium, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> like Woot's is, I guess, their version of it in the One Piece world. But Krieg also, he he recognizes Zeph. And this is when we get our first little bit of a backstory on him because he calls him Redfoot Zeph and says like, Apparently, he was this known pirate who was, like, very malicious, and he was called Redfoot Zeph because he had these, like, nasty kicking techniques that were really dangerous, but now he sees that Zeph has two peg legs instead. Or no, he just has the one peg leg, (laughs) which I guess makes more sense. (laughs) But he has has one peg leg now, so he thinks, like, well, I guess there goes Redfoot Zeph, you know, like, that, that was your whole strength. And it was taken away. And this is this is also when Zeph mentions that, like, his whole mentality is that as a cook, you use your hands for cooking and your feet for fighting, you know? <laughs> so that's why, like, it, you can see this, that he passes on to Sanji, because Sanji's whole thing seems to be he fights by kicking. He never uses his hands because you don't want to sully your hands fighting when you need that for cooking. Yes, and I, I love this concept because it's, it it works so well with a chef character that fights like that just it just makes sense. Yeah. And it's worth pointing out that when he recognizes Redfoot Zeph like his first thing is he demands that he hands over his logbook cuz he knows that Zeph spent all this time on the Grand Line and he thinks like well if I can look at your logbook I can maybe get some insight that's going to help me to succeed cuz again he's like just so desperate by any means necessary to conquer the Grand Line. But this also leads to, you know, he he reveals that I guess he he aspires to be king of the pirates like Luffy does. And Luffy at this point, who's just like cabin boy wearing a little apron, you know, he hears him say this and he's like, uh-uh, like I can't let that slide. <laughs> so he immediately stops up. He's like, no, 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 no. Like I'm going to be the king of the pirates. So he's already challenging him. But you can imagine from... From Krieg's point of view, he just looks at him like, what? Like, who are you? And he just, like, completely ignores Luffy at this point. But, yeah, so he, he ignores him because Luffy, like, he Luffy has not made a name for himself at all at this point. Nobody knows who he is. But Krieg, he winds up also revealing that, you know, they were on the Grand Line, like, very briefly. I can't remember what the timeline was. 
but he says that his entire 50-ship fleet was taken out by one man known as Hawkeye Dracul Mihawk, which is a pretty awesome name. <laughs> but he explains, he describes him as a hawk-eyed man who took out the whole fleet by himself with his sword, and Zoro is the one who kind of perks up when he hears about this because there's the reveal that this, this hawk-eyed man is regarded as the greatest swordsman in the world, a you know, very dangerous figure. And this takes us back to Zoro and his promise from the flashback that he wants to be the best swordsman in the world. He feels like that's a promise he made to Kuina, and he thinks the only way that he can achieve that is if he defeats the current greatest swordsman in the world. And so, of course, it's at this moment that as Creek's pirates are getting ready to attack the Barati, this one man shows up in his little boat, which I guess we should talk about this character real quick because I think it's so very cool. fucking cool. Yeah. Like, I feel like he should have, like, metal music playing while yeah, he's, like, definitely. pulling up because he's just such a cool character. Yeah, he's, he almost <laughs> looks like this, like, vampire figure, you know? Yeah. He's like this Spanish vampire or something. It's so cool looking. Like, I love it. He's got the drip. Yeah, he's oh, got, definitely. He's got, the, yeah, the big hat, the <laughs> giant sword. He is definitely, like, at this point, for me, the drippiest pirate oh, on yeah. the sea. <laughs> and he's, like, in this tiny little boat with, like, candles on it or yes, something. it's, it's like, so cool. Yeah. It looks like he should have, like, a fog machine <laughs> and, like, metal music and everything and, like, cool-ass yeah. lights. <laughs> but he, uh, yeah, he shows up and he winds up just completely destroying what's left of Creek ships, like, instantly. And it's funny because one of the things I did want to point out here is that after all this talk, you know, where they're talking about how scary and foreboding the Grand Line is and everything, it's like you see Straw Hats and, like, Luffy is just pumped. Like, he hears <laughs> this, he's just more excited. And Zoro, when he hears all about Mihawk, is just getting all fired up too because he's like... He like he he can't <laughs> wait. He's like, yes, like I, how when can we leave? I love it so much because Luffy, like, his ambition is matched by everyone on the crew. Like oh, yeah. everyone has the same level of ambition for whatever paths they're taking in their life. And I love that Zoro's like, Oh, I'm gonna beat this guy. Like, yeah, I gotta beat this guy. It's very important. <laughs> but before we get to the next part of the story, there is this little moment where it's revealed that, that Nami, she had been staring at this one wanted poster because the two, Johnny and Yosaku, since they're bounty hunters, they were carrying all these bounty posters with them. And Nami, kind of out of the corner of her eye, sees one of them and it kind of sparks something. And you notice she keeps staring at it, but it's very mysterious. And there's a moment where she's on the ship with the two of them and she kind of tricks them. And I think it's another thing where she's using her womanhood. Oh, She's, yes. like, pretending to yeah. change or something. This part was so funny. <laughs> I just love... She knows what she's doing. Oh, my God. She knows what she's doing, and it's so funny. Yeah, she uses this to steal the ship, all their treasure, and everything. And uh, she mentions to them that, like, hey, I'm a thief who steals from pirates. Like, what do you expect? <laughs> you know, but... And she she also tells them that, like... You know, she's like, oh, well, I never formally joined, you know, but I had fun, you know. And so she leaves like that, which seems like very treacherous, you know, that she betrayed them. Yeah. At first, I was really upset at oh, her really? for this. Yeah. Like, I, I thought it was funny her tricking them. But like, at first, I was like, 
it this does feel kind of messed up. Like, you know, because I really yeah. already loved Nami. And then I was like, what the heck? She's just leaving, you know? But yeah, but there there is like, you can sense that um, she seems sad about it. Like she doesn't seem like, yes, I tricked them. Like yeah. there there is this like melancholy yeah. and there's that wanted poster, you know, like did you, what did you think of that? Did you have any idea? I have, of had what no that idea. Mean? I mean, I, I didn't know if she knew what was going on or I, I mean, like, obviously she knows she recognizes it, but yeah. like, I had no idea what the story was. Again, watching this over again was a lot better than the first time. Yeah, Not that I, yeah. I didn't like it the first time. Cause it was something that built up as the story went through, but I just, the nuance that, is applied is like crazy. Yeah. I think that's the trouble with getting into something like this that's this big for the first time is it can be tough to get into like the flow of things mm-hmm. and understand like the nuance, the storytelling style. So I think it's it's all very effective. It's just you have to kind of get into that groove. Yeah. And I think it takes a little time to, to fit into that. Yeah, I think coming in completely fresh at first, it's definitely like you need to give the story room to breathe. Yeah, for sure. But there is the interesting detail where once Luffy hears about this, instead of being like angry or anything, he's just like, all right, we got to go get her. Because he's just like, yeah, she's the navigator. Like, I, And it's just, I, yeah. I love Luffy's character so much. Like the fact that mm. he was like, he just knew in his head, well, she must have a reason, but we need to go get her. Like it was like. Not a split second of hesitation of judging her as a person. He just knew yeah. if she was doing something, all right, we'll go get her and see what's going on. Well, it's clear he cares, like, very deeply for his crew. And yeah. the last arc, he made it clear that, like, he sees all his crewmates as his friends, you know. And so he just will not accept anyone else as his navigator. So that's that. But the setup here is now we have a lot of stuff going on. So... Luffy, he winds up sending everybody out after Nami, but he says he has to stay behind because he still has to repay his debt <laughs> to the Barati, which, hey, again, like, that's Luffy for you. I you know, know. He's a good dude. just priorities. Yeah. Yeah. And then Zoro, who's getting ready to leave too, when he sees Mihawk, he's like, well, I can't go because mm-hmm. this is my opportunity. I've been looking for this guy, so this is my chance to challenge him. Um, and that's the segue into their confrontation which this is i i think in this arc we get a lot of like certain scenes that are like these defining moments in the series and it's funny because when i was first reading this arc you know we're still kind of in that setup phase and i was kind of blasting through because at this point if i'm being very blunt i think a lot of the settings are like not exceptional like as cool as barati is the fact this whole arc takes place here is like just it's not like super exciting like as far as the setting goes and the villains are kind of like these c-tier you know goofy guys so there's a lot of like little stuff that i kind of missed the first time as a result of that but there are some like major moments in here that that set things up for the whole series and this confrontation between zoro and mihawk is like definitely a big one He just he immediately challenges him to a duel 
seeing this as his way of fulfilling his promise to Queena. Yeah, and now that we're here, I think mm-hmm. the fact that they left his backstory for here, like you were setting up, yeah. is perfect. Like, it really meshed together really well. Just yeah. to show, like, how important this moment is to Zoro. It makes sure that that's all fresh on your mind, because yeah. thematically this, this all fits together very well. But it's, it is interesting, because when they go to duel, you know, Mihawk at first is just like... I don't, like, who are you? Like, he just doesn't care at all. And he just sees this as a way of, of showing Zoro, like, how big the world is. And I think he refers to him as being, like, a frog in a small pond or something, mm-hmm. which is another thing that's, like, very foreboding, you know, as far as setting up where the story's going. And, yeah, in this duel, you know, Zoro pulls out his three swords and Mihawk pulls out, like, this tiny little dagger, like, won't even draw his actual sword. And is like, let me just show you how big the world is. <laughs> <laughs> and it's a it's a really cool fight because yeah Zoro we've seen at this point like he's very strong he's very skilled with the three swords but Mihawk is like this whole other level like this tiny little dagger he just instantly blocks his attacks and like Zoro just can't gain any ground at all and when he goes to use one of his big attacks I think it's Tiger Trap at first uh, Mihawk stabs him straight in the chest and like stops his attack and this is also it's a big moment because when he stabs him i think mihawk makes a a point where he's like you're just gonna let me stab you like this and zoro is just like i cannot back down like i'd rather die you know so he just takes it and refuses to step back an inch you know yeah i think how relentless like zoro is in this fight is really admirable and just shows I just at this immense amount of loyalty to Kuina and the fact that Hawkeye is so strong but also not willing to just go brute strength on Zoro is interesting I think there's to see this level of respect between swordsmen is really neat well, I think it's it, a neat exchange. I think at first he's just kind of like, well, let me show you how big the world is, you know, like yeah. you said. But yeah, after this moment when he hears or say like, I'd rather, you know, die than face mm-hmm. defeat and he sees how serious he is, he decides to show him the respect of drawing his actual sword. Mm-hmm. And so you get this last, you know, uh, attack from both of them where Zoro pulls out this crazy attack we haven't seen yet called 3000 worlds and goes into it and of course mihawk just just like one slash destroys two of his swords and slashes them straight across the chest which even that's a moment where i think when zora sees it coming he kind of just opens his arms and just takes it and that's another thing where he says that like uh scars on the back are like a swordsman's shame so he just refuses to turn his back, refuses to run away, and just takes it. But he also reveals that, you know, after hearing all this and experiencing this fight with Zoro, he just, he's not going to let him just throw his life away because he sees that he has all this potential. Um, so he mentions to Luffy that, you know, the wound isn't fatal, that he'll be okay. Because Luffy gets, like, pissed. He's yeah. like, I can't believe he did this to my dude, you know? I, I remember first watching this, and I was so upset and sad for Zoro. Yeah, it's, I, it's like, very sad. Yeah, but again, the story just beautifully wraps up this whole whole way of being a swordsman and like understanding 
the level of respect between them and stuff, and it's interesting. Yeah, and Zora's commitment to yes. this. But there is a funny exchange where Luffy explains to him that he's trying to be king of the pirates, and mm-hmm. and Hawkeye is like, oh, well, you have a much harder path than he does even, you know? And, and Luffy's just very defiant, and he's just kind of like, well, how would I know if I haven't done it yet? You know, like, just throws it right back at him. So sassy. Yeah. But it does lead to, like, this very heartfelt moment where you know when it's revealed that that Zora is still alive he has like tears streaming down his face and he yells out to Luffy that he will never lose again after that you know and and Luffy is just immediately like yes like Luffy just gets it you know but it's it's great yeah yeah it shows how strong their spirits and their convictions are and everything and how they have this like serious brotherhood, which mm-hmm. I think the relationship between Luffy and Zora, we'll talk a lot more about this as the series goes on. I love their relationship. I love their relationship too. Like they are like ideal best friends mm-hmm. and just the way they uphold each other's dreams and respect each other so immensely. Yeah. And like the fact they, they act like these manly ass men, but <laughs> yeah. you know, so they're not like affectionate to one another, but you can tell like they will die for each other, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah. they, they have a great relationship. But yeah, so we get, uh, we get into the, the big action of this arc when Luffy, he, after witnessing all this and getting, you know, appropriately fired up, he tells Zeph that like, he's basically like, well, if I can defeat Krieg, how about you let me off the hook, you know, on this whole thing? And Zeph's kind of like, sure, kid, like whatever you say. Um, but this sets up the rest of the arc, which is basically where we get into the action, where a lot starts happening. So yeah. let's uh, get ready for battle. So even though Zeph is kind of, you know, he doesn't really understand what's going on with Luffy. He hears he wants to be king of the pirates. He doesn't know anything about him. You can tell, like, and I think this is this is a big thing in One Piece, is the characters who are truly strong and, like, really know their stuff. He, he looks at Luffy, and he recognizes, like, the ambition that he has, and he sees the relationship with his crew. And so he's able to pick up on, like, there is, okay, there is something going on here. You know, whereas someone like Krieg, is just like he thinks of Luffy as, as someone who's like so far beneath him and doesn't care. Yeah. It's the people like Zeph who can like look right at his core and see like, okay, there's something here. And I think he even tells Sanji, he's like, keep an eye on Luffy. Like watch how he fights. Because yeah. he knows like there's something going on there. Yeah, it's real recognize real for yeah. sure. That's a good way to sum it up. <laughs> yeah. And so as they get ready to fight <clears throat> They deploy the fins on the Barati, which is like this little <laughs> deck. This. Yeah. Oh, it's I cool love it detail. so much. But they deploy the fins on the side because it gives them like a deck where they can fight on to get this wrapped up. The uh, And the other cool thing here is when the pirates first start, you know, jumping up on the fins to attack. This is when Luffy runs out there and just like wipes them all out like <laughs> immediately because, of course, that's what he does. Yeah. But this is the reveal that he has devil fruit powers Mm. which since we aren't on the grand line yet where that's more normal krieg and his crew when they see this are like you know shocked by it and they're (laughs) like okay like i guess he's one of those devil fruit weirdos you know still not impressed or scared or anything but it's still interesting and the first thing that happens is uh (laughs) oh so the there are two of the 
the cooks, what's it like? Carn? It's carne. Is that how do you say that? Carn? Like carne, like carne asada. Yeah, because I think it's supposed to be like food yeah. related. So it's like carne and something else. So there's two of the the cooks. They deploy the mackerel head one, like the fish head at the front. Yeah, it's like a little that was boat. Also very cool. Yeah, but it. It launches out and starts uh, shooting cannons at all the pirates and, like, wiping them out. But Krieg is able to stop it with, like, one hand because we're still getting set up that Krieg is, like, not a force to be reckoned with, Mm -hmm. you know. And also when the pirates, when they start boarding the ship and fighting with the cooks, it's interesting um, because we get at some point this little flashback where we can see that when, when Zeph and Sanji were first setting up the Barati, they were recruiting, like, cooks who basically were, like, kicked out everywhere else for fighting and being, like, roughnecks and mm-hmm. stuff. But they take them in and accept them because they know if we're going to be at sea, we need to not only be able to cook, we need to be able to fight off pirates and be, like, self-sustaining. So they're no joke. But when the Kriegs pirates jump on and start fighting, they get pushed back very quickly. And it's that reminder that... These pirates are, even though they're cannon fodder, they're the strongest pirates in the East Blue. So they're not really something you can just ignore like that, you know. Am I correct in thinking that this is like an example of prison reform? Like the idea of not not punishing people for, you know, their past, but taking them in and nurturing them and showing them how, you know to work as a team. Uh, yeah, that's what be. came to my mind. That yeah, makes sense. I think, I mean, it's it's also just that Zeph was a pirate himself right. at one point, so he doesn't, he, he doesn't just look at pirates and troublemakers as instantly bad people. Mm-hmm. You know, he has that more depth of, of compassion, yeah. you know. But yeah, so then uh, it's uh, Patty and Carn- Carnet, Carnet? What is it? I want to say carne because I'm thinking carne asada. Listen, we're going to say it once and never again <laughs> since I don't know if it's correct or not. But they're like the two kind of named members of the, the fighting cooks. They come back and they're they're like the tough ones. So they're able to push them back until one of the chief pirates and Krieg's crew shows up, known as Pearl, <laughs> who is able to push them back. We have to talk about Pearl for a second. <laughs> we have okay, to. Yeah, this character design is so oh, silly. <laughs> what in the world? It's just, uh, I was like, I think I didn't even know what to say or think when I first saw this character. I'm like, what is going on? It's he so is, silly. He's such a dumb character design. <laughs> it's, I mean, like, listen, he, Oda has like the style and a lot of the like B and C tier characters are kind of silly like this. Um, but early on, especially, it just feels so funny because it's just like, okay, it's a pirate who is themed around pearls, I guess it's like an ocean thing. So he has like a a pearl hat and like this weird big armor with like shields with pearls in them. He's so silly. It's so silly. It's so, it's such a fun way of like taking on such an absurd concept. Yeah. But he, he's... I think he's he's known as, like, the Invincible Shield or something. So he's, like, indestructible with all these shields. But this is when Luffy, he tries to... Luffy tries to run over in this opportunity, you know, to attack Krieg. But Krieg, since he's a dirty fighter, he just immediately, like, sends out all these bombs or something to try and knock Luffy into the water. Like, he doesn't... 
he, he still sees Luffy as like beneath him. So he's like, I'm not going to fight you. Like, just get out of my way. But this leads to um, Luffy getting like knocked on the Pearl's head, which makes his nose bleed. And that makes him like freak out, which I think everyone around is, is like, oh, no, like Pearl, please calm down. But the idea is since he's this scene is being like invincible, he can't take looking at his own blood. So he sees it as like he's in danger. So he starts freaking out and he creates like all this fire, the fire pearl. I don't know, man. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, I'm trying to explain this. So ridiculous. But he tries to like light the, the ship on fire and, and Zeph shows he's still got some of that riz left. And he like kicks the air and like the air puts out the fire. You know, he's still he's still got something going on. Yeah. Pearl only in anime. Can you see a character like this? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and this is also when uh, Krieg, he tries to intervene with this. Because this is another, you know, Luffy's all about having faith in his crew to do the one-on-one fights. Krieg does not agree with that. He's like, whatever it takes to win. So he tries to intervene, and Luffy's just like, hell no. So he, he like, repels back this uh, spiked ball that he, like, launches over. And this, again, leads to Pearl getting injured by like a mast falling on his head or something he's like just collateral damage this is when krieg is like finally ready to fight so at this moment it's revealed that uh you know since krieg is now getting ready to fight gein who's like the ultimate krieg simp is like scared for the crew he's like actually trying to stand up and like defend the barati because he thinks that like they don't stand a chance against krieg so he takes zeph hostage to try and, like, end things. But Sanji, like, shows he has... Even though he bickers a lot with Zeph, there's, like, this deep loyalty there because he offers to take Zeph's place. And when Pearl comes up and starts, like, ambushing him and attacking Sanji, Sanji, like, refuses to fight back. He just takes all the damage because he he doesn't want to put Zeph in danger, you know? Um, yeah, Zeph and Sanji's relationship is... It's very heartwarming when yeah. you when you get down to it. Well, and that that leads us into finally we get the big flashback of this arc, which explains their history and how they got here. But basically, what's revealed is when Sanji was a child, he was working in a ship's kitchen. And he had this dream to find the all blue, which it's it's set up as like, you know, we already explained there's the east and west blue and the north and south. And each of them has different like fish, different ecologies, you know. But the all blue is this like mythical ocean that I think they say is supposed to be on the Grand Line somewhere that contains fish from all four oceans. So it's like a cook's dream, you know, to go there. And the other cooks, they all kind of laugh at him. They think, like, that does, that's not real. It doesn't exist, you know. But Sanji, like, refuses to give up on that dream. There's also a small detail where the, the cooks that work in this kitchen are, like, eating the leftover food. And Sanji's like, what are you mm-hmm. doing? Like, that's gross. Like, just throw that away. You know, it's, like, very different attitude mm-hmm. than he has in the present. But it's during this when... Zeph, who at this point is still Redfoot Zeph, the pirate, he shows up and, like, ransacks the ship and stealing everything and killing the crew. And Sanji, 
which this is another funny like one piece thing because Sanji like stands up to him and refuses to lay down because he's got his dream it's all blue and Zeph just like kicks the shit out of him like this show <laughs> doesn't care about like if they're kids yeah it's like get out of like who cares get yeah. out of my way you know like there's no sympathy for children <laughs> um but there is this thing where when Sanji reveals that dream about the all blue you see Zeph kind of take note like it it moves him a little bit like it's very subtle but it's followed by like before the pirates can pull out this big storm hits everyone gets like washed overboard including Sanji and Zeph instantly he jumps in after Sanji to save him and in the process he gets like a chain wrapped around his leg and has to sever it in order to free himself and save Sanji which I just want to point out in the anime, they replayed that scene so many times. Did this stand out to you at all? You know what? You're right. They did. <laughs> they. I mean, it's such Holy a traumatizing crap. scene. It's so sad. It's so fun. It's like they really want to remind you, like this. Remember this happened. Yeah. Remember this yeah. is how he lost his leg. Like it just so many times. But anyway, yeah, the big. What winds up happening is they wash up on this deserted, like, rock. And it's shown that it's kind of like they're high enough they can't get any fish out of the water. If they try to jump down, they won't be able to get back up because of the way it's shaped. So they're, like, truly isolated and trapped out here. And Zeph has this, like, big bag of food. And he separates out some rations for Sanji and says, like, look, you, you sit on the other side of the rock. I'm going to sit over here. We're going to look for boats just don't come over here like stay mm-hmm. over there and you know they're still like fighting with each other he's like good <laughs> i don't want to see you anyway you know but it turns into this like pretty harrowing scene where over like a long stretch of time sanji's trying to stretch out his rations and stay alive as he's like withering up and getting yeah. like really uh starved yeah, yeah. So you get a, a glimpse at like why he values food the way he does it's because he knows what it's like to be like really truly hungry and it's why when people come to him that are hungry he he can't just let them be because he knows exactly what that's like Mm -hmm. that's why he will feed anybody yeah but there is a big moment after they've been there for a really long time and he runs out of food he goes over to see Zeph because Zeph had kept this like massive bag of food for himself and said like look I'm way bigger than you Mm -hmm. I need more food you know, but when he goes over there, he sees the the bag is still huge. And when he opens it, it's because it's full of treasure. Like he basically gave all of the food to Sanji, kept the treasure. It's another reminder that like on the sea, it doesn't matter how much money you got, how much treasure. Like if you don't have food, then it's all meaningless. You know, it shows like how people value these different things that maybe aren't so important, you know. But it's, yeah, it's a it's a big moment. It's another one of the, like, major One Piece moments when he sees that Zeph is, like, withering away and is missing a leg. I did want to point out that this is another big change from the manga. Because in the manga, okay. what gets revealed is he, he doesn't get his leg trapped or anything. He's got the two legs when he gets to the island. But the whole thing... A little stormy. What a great time for thunder. <laughs> but the whole thing is that when he's starving and has no food, he cuts off his own leg and eats it. Oh my to god, survive. I thought you were gonna say that, and that yeah. is just insane. 
Yeah, that it's crazy. insane. And that's one of the things I think I'm... Jesus. Oh, my gosh. I think I mentioned before that... So in, in the manga, there are these these parts of, like, the end of some of the chapters where people will, like, write in questions and he answers them. And people... This is obviously before I read the anime when I was just reading the manga. Did I say read the anime? <laughs> Before I saw the anime, when I was just reading the manga, I saw this question where someone asked about that this change, and Oda was kind of like, look, I'm not, like, totally involved in the anime. It's, like, a different studio that's doing it. Like, I'm helping out and stuff, but they make these decisions. You know, just kind of, like, trying to, like, wipe his hands of it and be like, look, man, like, I don't make all these calls, you know. And this is still pretty early, you know. But it did make me curious because I don't I don't remember if they like specifically said what the change was, but I remember thinking like yeah that's pretty dark <laughs> yeah that's pretty I, dark that would have been a little much but at the same time that what a gnarly way of showing what it's like being stranded out on sea yeah but yeah so it's it's kind of in that moment though that it's it's like it it washes away like. Zeph and Sanji's, um, their, like, hostility toward each other. Because they still bicker and everything. But you can tell, like, in this moment, they really formed a connection. And Zeph tells Sanji straight up, like, he saved him because Sanji shares his dream of finding the all blue, which everyone else, like, kind of laughs at and dismisses, you know. So it's really a beautiful thing to just show, like, they had, at this point, they had no reason to get along, like, when they first, yeah. but the way that Zeph, like, took care of Sanji and looked out for him when he clearly did not have to is yeah. just so special. But they, they wind up getting rescued by a passing ship, and, and Zeph reveals, like, he has this dream of making this making this ship that's going to be a seafaring restaurant that will feed anyone that's hungry. And and so you see that Sanji, after all this, wow, it is really storming here. I did not expect it Crazy. to storm like this. I think it'll sets, be okay. It sets the mood. Oh, but it, it, it sets up that Sanji, he feels like he owes Zeph something, you know, because he saved his life. And so now he sees this as like this um, obligation. Jeez. <laughs> he has this obligation to help him to pursue this dream, you know, of making this restaurant a reality. But meanwhile, back in the present. Uh, Krieg just orders Gein to just kill Zeph. He's he's like, why are we why are we playing these games? Like, just kill him. Just kill them all. Who cares? And. Gein, he's still just, he's so thankful over being fed that he can't do it. He, like, he hesitates. And Luffy, this is when he's kind of like, you know what, I've seen enough. And remember, he sends his foot, like, way up in the air, and he's like, I'm just going to destroy this whole fucking ship, and just, like, <laughs> slams it down. And everyone thinks he's, like, out of his mind. It's but, so silly. <laughs> yeah, Luffy, you see, he's, he's all action. He's no talk. He's just like, let's get this show on the road. Like, I'm sick of this. Yeah, and Luffy, like, he is kind of holding everyone hostage at this point because he's like, look, if it keeps going like this, I'm just going to sink this ship, which, like, nobody wants because Krieg is trying to take this ship, right. you know? So it kind of creates this, uh, this, like, standoff. 
And meanwhile, like Luffy, he actually winds up confronting Sanji because Sanji makes it clear like he will die to save the Barati and to save this dream of Zeph's. And Luffy just like throws it back in his face because he says that only weaklings would repay kindness by dying. And um, I think this is like, it's very important for his character. But Luffy shows, he, he as silly as he is, as childish as he is, as he is, he does have this kind of maturity that comes out in certain times. And this is one of them where he's like, why would you sacrifice your life for a thing, you know, like this ship? You know, like that's stupid. Like you should be doing whatever it takes to survive and save everybody else in the process. You know, mm-hmm. like it's just that simple mm-hmm. for Luffy. Like he is the kind of no-nonsense person who will not he he will not sacrifice anything you know and there is this this funny moment when so in the wake of this yeah pearl is kind of like ready to end this and just kill them and gein winds up winds up actually taking out pearl and showing that gein is like he's not somebody to to mess with either because he's able to take out pearl in like one hit and he decides he's going to challenge Sanji and Luffy so they can resolve it without any more bloodshed because Gein seems to, even though he serves under Krieg, he's not like as like cartoonishly evil, I guess, as Krieg. And it's funny because there is a moment here where Luffy refers to them as being weaklings and they're all kind of like, what are you talking about? Like, we're the strongest in the East Blue. And he's like, well, isn't that just because there's a lot of you? <laughs> and immediately you see the pirates all like, oh, God, like heads in their hands, like so depressed instantly. because like he cut right to it. And it's like so ice cold. It's so funny. So, he, so Luffy's just like completely unimpressed, you know, by all this. But this is when we kind of set up the now... Sanji is going to fight Gein and while Luffy is getting ready to fight Krieg. And when Sanji and Luffy, when Sanji and Luffy start fighting, it's actually kind of an even fight, but Sanji's like so badly injured from fighting Pearl that he has trouble keeping up with it. And during this, like Luffy tries to rush at Krieg again to fight him, but Krieg like just pushes him back again, like shoots these um, stakes at him. I think it is interesting because Luffy, even though he's impervious to a lot of stuff, you can see clearly that there are certain things like, you know, if you're shooting bullets at him, he could just bounce them back. But he's shooting like these spiked stakes, yeah. which are actually dangerous. So Luffy gets pushed back again. And this is, a, this is a, another exchange that shows the difference in these characters because Luffy is kind of like, what's going on? Like, I, like, Luffy cares about fair fights. Like, he mm-hmm. wants to just go over and fight him. And Krieg doesn't care at all. He just cares about winning, mm-hmm. you know. And he has this uh, this idea that, like, might makes right. You know what I mean? So it's another one of those moments that shows the difference in their morals. Because, like, with Kuro of the Thousand Plans, you know, he was totally willing to hurt his own crewmates and only cared about himself. And Luffy was like, that makes you a, a horrible pirate. Like, you're never going to yeah. be as good as me. And now with Krieg, it's the idea that, like, well, I'm strong, so I get to dictate, like, I can do whatever I want. But, yeah, so when Sanji and Gein are fighting, meanwhile, there is this moment where Sanji, he's just too badly hurt, and Gein has this opportunity to finish him off. But there's another, like, big tearful moment where he just, he can't do it. Like, because Sanji showed him so much kindness, and he explains that, like, 
no one has ever shown him the kind of kindness that Sanji did by feeding him at when he was at his lowest, mm-hmm. you know, so he just can't do it. And he begs Krieg to like, he's like, just this once, please, like, just let them go. Let's leave. Let's start over. And Krieg, again, showing the difference between him and Luffy is like, you know what? Like, I don't need you. You're weak. Like, if you aren't going to listen to me, then I don't have any use for you. So he launches, like, a poison bomb over there, and he instructs Gein, like, don't put on your gas mask. Like, you just have to take it. And, of course, Gein being the the major simp that he is, he just takes it. And there's this moment where everyone freaks out and the poison bomb goes over there. Luffy's, like, freaking out because yeah. he doesn't know what to do. And a gas mask kind of just appears, so he puts it on, and it's revealed that I guess Gein, like, shoot through his gas mask over so Luffy could take it, and he takes another one and puts it on Sanji. So he takes the gas while everyone else is okay. It's, it's, what an <laughs> incredible act of selflessness. Yeah. Like. Well, and he also thinks, like, Gein still is in this this place where he thinks, like, nobody is going to be able to stand up against Krieg, you know, and Luffy's still just a nobody. Mm-hmm. So... He's like, this is this is just how it has to be in order to minimize the damage and the loss of life, you know. So this is when we finally get into the big fight of this arc, Krieg versus Luffy. Because at this point, Luffy is, uh, he's kind of pumped up enough where he's like, all right, we need to finish things. Like, he's seen enough. He's seen how... Krieg has no regard for his crewmates and he just can't let this stand anymore. So Luffy, he he charges back at him again and Krieg, I think, even makes a, a note of like, why do you just keep doing this? Like, this isn't going to get you anywhere. And then that's when we get to reveal that Luffy, he just ran straight through, like took all the stakes, like took all this damage. And when he goes in to punch him, Krieg like whips out this spiked cape that's like... I, <laughs> He, he very much is like this this character who he relies a lot on weapons and technology and seems to just pull out whatever in the moment will work, you know. But he pulls out this this like metal spiked cape or whatever and like wraps it around himself as if like, aha, like can't get me now. And Luffy just punches straight into these spikes. It looks so painful. Yes. <laughs> but I mean, he full force just hits it and knocks him on his ass and this becomes like this big moment where people realize like they're going to have to take Luffy seriously. And so you see like his crew is like dumbstruck by this. Gein is dumbstruck. Like they've, they've never seen Krieg get knocked down like that. Um, but meanwhile, Zeph, when he's talking to Sanji, you know, he's reminding him like, watch this fight. Cause he already knew like this was coming. And he has a few insights that I thought were so interesting. Cause he mentions that like, he sees Luffy as somebody who is going to fight to the death if he sees someone as being his enemy. Like, he will not hesitate. And Luffy, you know, he will, like I said, he will hurl himself right into danger without any fear, without any hesitation. And Zeph sees this as, like, Luffy doesn't fear death because he has faith in himself, which I thought that was, like, this... uh, It's a really great way to to put that in the words you know and it it definitely I think that's something we can 
go back to a lot in the series that and it's it's like kind of inspiring in real life too this idea yeah. that he has so much faith in himself that he will not back down will not you know turn around like he will go straight into whatever conflict he is facing yeah like i on. think i i really love how it's shown how powerful luffy is not just like physically but like mentally like he is so yeah. set on his goal and beating him and fighting for good that he just keeps getting back up. Yeah. And it's it's also worth pointing out that Zeph, he mentions to Sanji that he sees Sanji as, as being similar to Luffy, but there's something that's holding Sanji back, that, that he's holding himself back, essentially. And this is kind of part of why he wants him to watch Luffy because he's hoping he'll get like inspired and understand like what he needs to be doing with his life at this point which we'll get to that but yeah so the fight the fight between them I did want to point out like I think when I first read it it's another one of those things early on where it's such a goofy like D-list I I feel like I keep (laughs) saying B, C, D like whatever he's like but he's like this low ranking like nobody villain and so reading it was kind of just like okay okay like let's let's move this along like I wasn't really hyper focused on a lot of the stuff but watching it now um this fight winds up being interesting cuz while he's still not Luffy's still not like being pushed to his limits like we're still seeing like um we mentioned before how he's clearly very strong but we're not seeing like what his boundaries are, what the limits of the strength is. And even in this fight, even though he's kind of getting pushed to the edge, it never, it, it feels like he's kind of doing it to himself. Like he treats this fight as like, he's just hurling himself at him, mm-hmm. kind of proving that like, it, it's almost like a way of almost looking down on someone, you know, of being like, you aren't even worth it. You know, like yeah. I don't need to like strategize or do anything. And it also shows this, the difference between the two where Luffy he relies on himself, on his his strength, his spirit, you know, while someone like Krieg is relying on technology and this other bullshit. And Luffy's kind of showing that, like, his strength and spirit is enough to overpower him because he just keeps on coming, mm-hmm. keeps just hitting him over and over and over. Like, like he uh, Krieg pulls out this, like, spear that creates explosions or yeah, something. Yeah, this is crazy. Yeah, and Luffy just keeps hitting the spear over and over and over again, keeps taking the explosions over again until it finally breaks, you know? Which is a crazy concept fighting-wise. Is like he is continuously yeah. sacrificing himself for the precise goal of snapping this thing. Yeah, it's like this this absolute determination um, and it is also funny because I think when, when he first hits Krieg, I didn't mention that, like, he, I think Krieg had said something about how, like, this place is going to be your graveyard. And when Luffy hits him, he's like, oh, yeah, like, this is my <laughs> graveyard. Like, like are you going to rethink that? But yeah, Luffy, he shows no hesitation, just keeps getting up, keeps getting hit. He then starts, like, hammering him on his armor over and over, which Krieg is just like, my armor is indestructible. Like, what are you doing? And of course, Luffy knows exactly what he's doing because after hitting it just over and over and over again, he finally like cracks it and then hits it with a gum gum bazooka and just shatters it. And at this point, like Luffy is like half conscious. He's like lost all this blood and everything, but he is still 
just going like relentlessly. But even then it's like, it's, it's always like one more thing. Cause after breaking the armor, Krieg traps Luffy in like the steel net and is like trying to drag him into the ocean. But Luffy's able to get his arms out and he like grabs him and does a big final attack. This like gavel where he like twists him up and then slams him like a hammer into the deck and completely knocks him out. And meanwhile, Luffy in this net falls into the, the sea. But it's still like, again, that's his character. Is like he's not thinking about all that. He's just thinking about defeating what's in front of him at all costs. Yeah. So he, he kind of like sacrifices himself, which is another, it's a big theme here that it shows how much he relies on his crew yeah. in these moments. And sure enough here, like Zeph points out to Sanji, he's like, you know, Devil Fruit users can't swim. And Sanji's like, why didn't you tell me that to, <laughs> to begin with? And like jumps in to save Luffy. And I think there's this is a moment where when he's swimming down to save Luffy, he's like reflecting on everything he saw and like how Zoro and Luffy like put their lives on the line um, and without any hesitation in order to pursue their dreams. And it's clear that Sanji is stuck in this place where he's not doing that. He's not living up to, you know, his own ambitions. Yeah, he's literally like a big fish in a small bowl. Yeah, same thing that uh, Hawkeye pointed out with Zoro, you know. Right. But yeah, so in the in the aftermath, after Sanji saves Luffy, um, we see Gein, of course, is crushed by Krieg's defeat. He, he cannot stand seeing Senpai Krieg getting <laughs> crushed like this. But at the same time, there's this moment where, like, Krieg, he gets up and he's, like, unconscious, like, swinging around, like, refuses <laughs> yeah. to lose, like, cannot yeah. accept it. And Gein just knocks him out. And it's kind of like, look, we lost. We have to accept it. Yeah. But he still is, he's unwilling to leave Creek behind. He sees it as like, we're going to go off. We're going to recover. We're going to head back to the Grand Line, you know. And he, he explains that he he has served under Creek for so long, even with him being mistreated. He has been so swept up in, in Creek's dreams, they've kind of become his own. And... What I thought was interesting about this is that it shows, like, like with Luffy, like, we say that his crewmates, they all have their own dreams and ambitions, and that's very important, you know, because Luffy absolutely supports everything his crew members are striving for. But at the same time, his crew is, like, they're fiercely loyal and willing to put their lives on the line for Luffy and for his dream to become King of the Pirates. And with Krieg, you can kind of see how that can go wrong, you know, where Krieg has his own ambitions and his crew has been swept up in it, but Krieg doesn't have any kind of, uh, he doesn't place any value in his crew. They're just like tools to reach mm-hmm. his own goals. And it's it's kind of tragic for Gein, who seems like this good guy, who is very strong in his own right, but he's in this like abusive relationship. Yeah, that, I'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly, what I. it's literally yeah. showing these trappings of, being being in a toxic relationship and it's it's sad yeah but yeah so it it does wind up being this kind of like this nice moment though when they're all leaving i think they stack like all of the pirates onto this tiny little boat (laughs) and with gene and gene is like thankful for everything they did and and kind of apologizes um before heading out and meanwhile the barati cooks are just like yeah we'll don't forget this, like, don't mess with us again, you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, in, in the final moments of this arc, 
Luffy, he wakes up and freaks out because his hat's missing, and Sanji reveals that he saved it for him. It's another cool thing, because we see that a few times, like, when Zoro saves his hat from going overboard, it's like, seeing that these people, like, already recognize that this is important to Luffy. Yeah, and just how, like, Nami knew, like, how important it was, just like, I can fix it. Yeah, yeah, I think all the characters seem to be getting these little moments like Mm -hmm. that. So Sanji saved his hat for him, and and I think Luffy right away is like, all right, so you're coming with us, right? And Sanji's (laughs) like, no, like, no, what are you talking about? Like, still refuses. But we get, like, it, it actually gets, we get a little more serious moment here where Sanji tells him like that he still he still feels like he owes Zeph. You know, he still yeah. owes him something and Luffy accepts it. He's kinda yeah. like, okay, like I understand. And I also just love that <clears throat> this part of his character where it just shows this like if they're gonna come with me, they have to have that consent to be with me. Yeah, and that you know? we get to that too. Cause then even though he says that you know, and Luffy accepts it. He then starts, like, very excitedly talking about the all blue because, like, Luffy had never heard of it. Mm-hmm. And there's this moment where Zeph sees him, like, talking about it. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> like what we do at the podcast where I'm just, like, yeah. excitedly talking about <laughs> One Piece while you're just sitting there, like, yeah, like, listening to me. Yeah, because it's amazing to watch somebody you love talk about something they love. Yes. But Zeph, like, he sees this. He recognizes, you know, what's going on here. And I think it kind of... It, it cements for him that, like, Sanji, it's time for him to leave and to pursue his own dreams. And he thinks that, like, Luffy is the man to help him to achieve that. So that leads to a a scene that's honestly kind of awkward I want to talk about. Because basically, they all, they make food for each other. You know, they're kind of celebrating afterwards. And Sanji makes, like, the soup, you know, that they're eating. And there's a scene where, like, first of all, they're, like, very cold to Sanji and, like, don't have a seat for him. And he's kind of mm-hmm. like, okay, guys, like, <laughs> what the fuck? Okay. Um, and then as they're eating the soup, they're all, like, complaining about how disgusting it is. And they're, like, spitting it out and stuff. And, and even Zeph comes out and he's, like, he, he eats all of the soup because he refuses to let it go to waste. But then he's, like, this is trash and, like, throws his ball on the floor. And Sanji the whole time is like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? Like, there's nothing wrong with the soup. And he's, like, all pissed off and, like, storms out. And then Luffy, of course, is sitting there happily eating it. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. This soup is great. And they're like, we know. But it's it's this weird thing where I guess they're trying to, like, like be like, we don't need you here in order to get him to yeah, leave. Yeah, they're, like, faking, like, pissing him off so that he has yeah. this some other outside reason to leave. And I remember watching this for the first time and I was pissed off. I'm like, what the frick is this about? Yeah, kind of being jerk holes. Yeah, but then... what? (laughs) (laughs) Jerk hole. (laughs) Yeah, they're just being big assholes about it. Yeah, and how, how, like, through this scene, like, the mood just shifts because, like, for me, I was, like, so pissed off. Like, what are they doing? And then it's like, oh... Well, it's, I see what it's they're weird doing. weird that's like, okay, I guess we're going to gaslight him to make him leave. It's just, <laughs> yeah, it is very weird. But but it is nice because then afterwards they're like, we know the soup's good. All right? Like, we know. And they, and they start eating it again. And, you know, of course, like, Sanji is, like, sitting outside listening to all of this. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you idiots. And But it, there is this nice moment you kind of brought up where they ask Luffy to take him. And Luffy's just like... He says no. He's like, mm-hmm. he refuses. And they're like, what? Like, I thought you wanted him on your crew. And he's like, yeah, I really want him. 
but I'm not going to take him unless he agrees to it himself. Yeah. And they're kind of like, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. This, this part of the story is really what like made me fall in love even more with one piece because it just expresses how, how fragile and important consent really is. And it's, it's a really, really touching way to show it. Of course. It's another thing that like differentiates Luffy from a lot of other pirates in the story. But this so this gets interrupted in a way that feels very awkward. This is when uh Yusaku shows up in like a the mouth of like a shark, like comes crashing <laughs> through the wall. This I I can't remember if this gets explained in the next arc or something, but it's like the most random shit. Because he just comes flying through the wall. They're kind of like, oh, what's this? And, like, ignore that, like, he created this giant hole. It's just like a, if, I don't, I don't want to say it's lazy, because, again, I don't remember the setup for this. But I feel like such an awkward way to just <laughs> shove him into the scene so that he can, like, set up the next part, which is um, he, he tells Luffy that, like, they followed Nami for a while and figured out where she's going and realized that, she's going somewhere that's very dangerous and mm. they need Luffy's help, which is like this really cool, like ominous setup yeah. for what's coming. Um, so Luffy's like ready to go in pursuit. <clears throat> and um, so he winds up gathering all these supplies, like getting all this food from them, which was also funny because mm. he's like, all right, I'll take that, 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 like, <laughs> come on, come on. And they're like, you need all this? But there's also, there's a cool moment where... Zeph like offers his logbook to Luffy and Luffy just immediately turns it down because he's like where's the fun in that like I want to see this for myself yeah Yeah, that is such a cool moment because not only just like Zeph being like I see what you're doing I recognize what you want to do and I want to help and Luffy's like I'm gonna do it all on my own (laughs) yeah but it shows how like that's what drives Luffy like yeah he wants to be king of the pirates but for him it's about the adventure it's about you know it's about the freedom and like seeing all this stuff for himself and he's excited about that so it's like if somebody could spoil it for him or take him right to the end he's not interested you know he's there for the journey yeah and this might be a stretch we can cut this if it's stupid Mm. but when i saw this and like just right now thinking about it i know this is really kind of far-fetched but the idea of AI right now and like how somebody is that AI is like a logbook to me yeah and it's like you can do you can type in whatever you want and you will make any image or any art you want but I don't as AI can be a great tool but I see it as cheating because why I love art so much is the journey and the adventure and picking up new skills and things like that and I feel like with AI it just wipes it of that oh yeah i mean you're skipping a lifetime of being inspired and practicing and learning your craft right all of that just to skip right to the end exactly and it's like thank you but no thank you yeah no that that checks out but in yeah in the final moments sanji finally decides like okay like i guess this is it you know this is my chance to leave he agrees to to join with luffy and there's this like tearful goodbye of course as he's leaving where um i think everyone's trying to act like all tough and everything (laughs) but it breaks when as they're leaving zeph 
yells out to him not to catch cold and like that's it like that <laughs> that breaks the dam everybody starts crying and getting all emotional and and Sanji calls out to him and tells him that he won't forget his kindness for the rest of his life so it's like very heart heart-wrenching moment well it just it really shows that the uh the two of them Sanji and Zeph they have like such a great relationship you know because they're they're constantly like fighting and bickering throughout the whole thing but as you learn more about their history and all that you see that there is actually like a lot of depth there yeah i mean he's like a father figure to him oh completely yeah yeah which is interesting because at this point we haven't gotten into sanji's uh history or his, no. his real backstory yet I don't think I've even seen. You don't it. know anything yeah, about that. I'm that's, so excited. That's one of the things. <laughs> luckily, we still have to uh, get a fresh perspective yes. on eventually. But yeah, so that that does it for the Barati arc. So now, I guess, as we get into final thoughts, we should start with how would you rank this arc compared to the other ones? Because um, as a reminder, the way we have it set so far is Orange Town is so far the number one, followed by Romance Dawn, and then Sierra Village is number three. Mm-hmm. So where would you put Barati? I think I have an idea. <laughs> I don't think you're going to be shocked at all by this. Barati yeah. is my favorite by far right now. It's like I love Barati. Like... Yeah, I think definitely, as far as these early arcs go, I'd agree. I think, especially rewatching it, um, it's great. We get the Sanji introduction, we get some really emotional scenes, and then we get more backstory with Zoro, more, uh, you know, Luffy's character gets fleshed out more. There's really a lot that happens here. Between, like, really cool fight scenes, really emotional moments, a lot of character growth for everyone. Yeah. The character design and the ship design, it's just all so top tier. Like, it just, this is my favorite. Yeah, this is definitely, I think, to me, it feels like this is where Oda starts to really get comfortable and is really, like... He's uh, he's really getting into the, the what am I trying to say? He's really getting into the the swing of things, you know, with this series at this point. And I will just say, so next the next arc that we're covering, we're getting ready to do the legendary Arlong Park arc, which this was this was something that when we first started, I remember telling you, you know, we have to at least get through Arlong Park. <laughs> And after that point, you know, you can kind of decide if you're a one piece head or not <laughs> like me. And that I feel like that's like a really common sentiment in the community because Arlong Park, aside from just being like a fantastic arc in the series, like it's still one of my favorite. Um, it's the first like big major arc that shows like what one piece is about and what the storytelling is like going forward because we see a lot more of We'll get into it when we talk mm-hmm. about it, but there's a lot that happens in Arlong Park that really sets the table for the rest of the series. It's also the first, like, real threat that Luffy faces because we talked a lot about how these villains are kind of like, you know, Monster of the Week, just whatever yeah. people, like, very disposable. This is going to be our first big 
villain that actually is a threat to Luffy. And uh, <laughs> our appliances are constantly singing to us. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm very excited to get into this again. This is this is going to be a big one. I think we're already planning on probably doing this in two parts, which we'll do like a week apart, because um, we just we have to dedicate as much time to this as we can yeah. to make sure we do it right. But yeah, so on that note, yeah, the next arc, Arlong Park, it covers episodes thirty-one through forty-four of the anime and chapters sixty-nine through ninety-five of the manga so it's the longest arc so far and yeah like i said i'm i'm excited to watch it i'm excited to talk about it i can't wait and just for as a programming note i think after that's logetown which is like the final arc of the east blue saga and then we're gonna do an east blue recap where we'll spend part of it just talking about the podcast and the process what everything's been like but then we're gonna give some kind of like general thoughts about the whole East Blue Saga and, you know, just put a cap on it before we head into the next saga Mm -hmm. when we enter the Grand Line as a (laughs) spoiler alert. Um, So, yeah. Did you have any overall thoughts for this arc you wanted to get out before we close it? Um, I think I think I pretty much expressed how much I love this arc and the addition of Sanji. Yeah. Like I think that's Even pretty though, well expressed. I think yeah, like we said the first time, I think you still weren't like totally on the Sanji train yeah. at this point. But uh we're all aboard this time. <laughs> yes, we're all aboard for <laughs> <Yes>. Sanji. <laughs> all right, so do you wanna plug the socials and yeah, stuff? Yeah, we're Straw Hat Social Club everywhere, including threads. Oh, yeah. so now we're on Threads because Threads released this week, mm. which I am addicted to. Uh, but otherwise, uh, if you have an anime movie that you want us to check out, or maybe some sort of anime short, uh, so you can send it to strawhatsocialclub at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, and also I think genuinely, if anyone has any uh, thoughts on like doing more thorough beat by beat recaps versus more conversational. Like we're still kind of trying to figure out, Mm -hmm. you know, what we're doing here. So definitely appreciate any kind of feedback. Yes, please. Um, and yeah, for, for the socials, I'd say we're primarily Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and now I guess threads. I don't know what you're doing on there. You're the social media person. Uh, I mean, I'm trying threads isn't obviously a new platform with, new energy i think it really has a good vibe to it so we'll see but it'll definitely be more laid back we should definitely couch that by saying it's still zuckerberg and maybe not uh i mean like what am i supposed to do i'm just saying (laughs) of course it's all it's all social media it's all got its own problems but i'm not here throwing an ad for threads but i I mean it exists and there's over 70 million people on it at this point so yeah (laughs) All right, but I think uh, that will do for this time. I think the plan is, yeah, we're going to do, I guess now we can actually talk about schedule stuff because we have more of a a calendar now. Yeah, and also I I think any One Piece fan knows that the live action is coming out very soon. Oh, yeah. We're, We're planning on finishing all of the East Blue Saga right before the live action show comes out. Um, it's part of why we did Syrup Village and Barati back to back to kind of get ahead of it. But I think next week, 
take a break with side piece. We're going to be releasing Sailor Moon R Mm -hmm. on there. That's your next choice. Yes. And then after that, it'll be Arlong Park, which, again, should be a two-parter, two weeks apart. So, yeah. I mean, we appreciate anyone who's listening. Yeah, it's been really cool seeing the subscribers keep tacking on and seeing how many downloads we're getting. It's, you know, it's not like substantial, but it's cool that, you know, you guys are out there listening. So, yeah, I think we'll we'll go more in depth and all that when we do like the East Blue recap. But it is nice because we're just we're really just doing this for fun for the two of us. (laughs) Just fun to make something together. So seeing that there are people listening is cool. I hope people are enjoying it. Yeah, you can. Catch us next Thursday. Uh, This has been Straw Hat Social Club. I'm Todd. I'm Becca. And uh, tune in next time.